the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company. Eight to shoot, Davis to work, against Martin, dumps it into the left corner, three for Puck Johnson, rolls home! Wow. Puck Johnson! Martin spins a pass to the left wing, Wilson open three, got it! What a feed from Remy Martin! It left a vapor trail across from right to left, and Wilson cans the open three! They go to Love. Love's going to be the one to take it. Puts up the shot. It's off. The game is over. And Kansas completes the biggest championship comeback all time. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. Good five o'clock hour, Cofield. Puff Hill. I like that Puff Johnson. Puff Hill. Puff Adam Hill. Adam Puff Hill is with us. Ari is in our Finley Toyota Studios. Reminder tonight, this is uh, really when you start honing in on what is going on in and around uh, you know, the Vegas Golden Knights. Knights are up tomorrow. Every one of these nights where they're not playing, we got to watch what's happening around the National Hockey League. So uh, I know the guys on Fox 1340 are going to be Tracking what's going on on the VGK Insider Show. That goes until 6 o'clock. We got Wild in Nashville going down right now in a couple of minutes. Islanders in Dallas later this hour. So uh, if you are looking for a great hockey talk, Adam's great at it too. But uh, you can flip over to 1340 and 98.9 FM. Big Five time. Battle Born Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Five. Number five. Yeah, Adam, you've been kind of upbeat today. I'm surprised you, uh, you did not have a great night last night in terms of uh, gambling because you had more than just a – you know, just some random single game bet riding, and we didn't even talk about this leading up to it. But you were in a big contest in town. Yeah, it was actually I did. I had a great night last night. Saturday was a Saturday was a disaster. Oh boy. Um, I was still in last man standing to the weekend. Um, had a had a decision make on Saturday. I couldn't decide between which underdog I wanted, so I went to uh, get the ticket, and I filled out a ticket for both underdogs. Oh, wow. And had to decide which one to actually put in. And my mistake, which in retrospect is very silly, but I was playing game theory more than anything else. And my plan was to take, there was 13 people left, so obviously what nobody was going to win the solo prize. Um, my theory was to take whoever was the least played team on Saturday. So I was trying to figure out which of the four teams were going to be the least bet. And... My favorite play was North Carolina, and most of the feedback I got from everyone I talked to, I actually went to a gathering of sports bettors on Friday night, which was probably a massive mistake as well. Oh, boy. Um, it asked just who, who's going to be the least bet team, and the general consensus was, well, clearly Villanova with their injury, they're going to have the toughest time, nobody's going to pick them. So my thought was maybe of the 13, maybe 7, 8, maybe even 9 pick Kansas. Right. So if I play Villanova and they cover, and I did like them, I, I much preferred them to Kansas. Uh, if they cover, I might be sitting in a position to actually win the entire prize and not have to split it. So instead of playing my vet, my favorite play in North Carolina, I played Villanova. You went for it. Yeah, I went for it. You went for it. And missed. Uh, now, what if, by the way, what is last man standing? Because I'm sure a lot of people have no idea what you're talking oh, about. Well, it's a pretty popular contest around town for stations casinos. They uh you you start at the beginning of the tournament, you have to pick one play every single day of the tournament. 
So essentially, you have to get 10 plays right in a row. If you get one wrong, you are out. And there, it went from, you know, 2,800 when it started to 13 as of Saturday. Wow. wow. And, You're uh, in the final 13. I was in it. Now, the positive side is obviously uh, I made a very, very large wager on Kansas. Um, I went into the book, made the bet. When I cashed it on Saturday night, I was incredibly depressed about cashing it. <laughs> and the, the guy was like, well, hey, this is a great win, man. And I was like, shut up. It's not. I wanted to lose this bet. Um, it sucks. It, it sucks. And especially I, what I shouldn't have done yesterday is make my play. So I, I loved North Carolina yesterday. And uh, so I would have I would have been there and won. Now, we don't know how many would have won. It would have been one extra. It would have been me splitting the prize. Um, there was only five left going into last night. So if it was two that won, that would have been three. Would have won about 20000 a little less than 20000 Nice. Kind of depressing. Um, but at the same time, it's a good run. It was a nice run. And uh, listen, when you when you enter the contest and you still win as much money as I did on the tournament because of the hedging, uh, you you have to take it. You have to be happy with it. But it was just so close. So close. Number four. Are you telling me some of your contest disappointment took away from you watching Pat McAfee at WrestleMania? Your guy? Well, Steve, you know where WrestleMania airs, right? You might not. No idea. It's on Peacock. Okay. And you know, there is no bigger fan of the Peacock app than me. So I have so, it. Did you watch? Because uh, I know you cannot stand so many of the people that you follow who are journalists who love, love wrestling. But yeah. your guy McAfee was in it. So I obviously despise the WWE. <laughs> I just I can't. It's not the WWE. They do a great job. They, I mean, it's awesome product. People love it. I just I can't do it with. I can't watch a whole event. So I did tell a lot of people, just please text me when the McAfee match starts. Yeah. And uh, I did watch. And there's another reason that I watched, which. <laughs> so I've been telling everybody for for two months that Pat McAfee was wrestling Vince McMahon. And everybody keeps telling me I was wrong. They're like, no, he's not. He's wrestling Austin Theory. And I was like, no, he's wrestling Vince McMahon. That's what the, the match is. And so all my wrestling fan friends were so annoyed with me that I continued to say he was wrestling Vince McMahon. And then he wrestles Austin Theory on Saturday night. And by the way, Pat McAfee did unbelievably well. Like, unbelievably I know, you know, I, well. I, I saw some of the stuff he did, and I was like, man, that's... He did a backflip off the top rope. Then he executed a freaking suplex from the top rope well without killing himself. Like and and killing the other guy. That's the other thing. If you're a professional wrestler and some football playing jabroni gets in there, you're like, wait, wait, wait a second here. We're we're gonna do what? Yeah. So I know what he's doing. I don't want to get hurt. But to be fair, McAfee did do a video a couple weeks ago and he's like, Listen, for those that say like this is a you know a stunt or whatever, he said, I've been preparing for this my whole life. He built a wrestling ring when he was in, like, in high school out in his backyard. Oh, is that right? Uh, he has one in his studio in Indianapolis he, uh, where he practices. I was going to say, was he a backyard wrestling guy with like the fluorescent bulbs and breaking them over? You know, I mean, that, that got out of control with sure. backyard wrestling, but I guess yeah. I didn't realize he was such a wrestling guy. No, he's a massive wrestling guy, and he really – and obviously he's a professional athlete too. So, well, And by the way, that's the other thing, and you and I both know this from uh, MMA watching professional football players try to cross over. and I mean, they – they still fight. Like, even though Greg Hardy wasn't great, the fact that he can walk in and, in like, a couple of years compete professionally, the the level of athleticism with most NFL players. And keep in mind, he was a punter. Yeah. Which, by the way, they and incorporated. He's in, he's, in their, 
He's in there jumping off the top rope and doing suplexes. Yeah, he was amazing. But they incorporated the punting in. Uh, he did get the ball punted at him when he was down on the ground, um, <laughs> which is funny. Uh, but so uh, what I've, I've been telling everybody that he's wrestling Vince McMahon for a long time. So when he actually wrestled this Austin Theory guy, my phone is blowing up from all my wrestling fan friends saying, you're an idiot. Why did you say that? You have no idea what you're talking about. And then after he beat Austin Theory... Vince McMahon challenged him, and then they had a match, and Vince McMahon won the match. And so then everybody was like, you jerk, you ruined it. I was like, wait a minute. I was a liar that didn't know what I was talking about an hour ago. Now I ruined it? What are you talking about? Uh, so, yeah, I did watch. Uh, also, I, you, I don't think you did watch. If, if, if anything, besides the highlights of McAfee, which, again, he was incredible, watch Stone Cold, Stone Cold Steve Austin gave stunners to Austin Theory, who – Sold it so well. I mean, he jumped in the air like a hundred feet, and right. like sold the sold the stunner. I saw I saw another one. Who was that? Hold that on. Completely effed it up. Well, McAfee took a stunner too, and he sold it awesome, like right in the middle of a uh, of one. a beer, and just did a spit take, which was incredible. Yep. Old man Vince McMahon took a stunner, and he like st- first of all he stumbled in. He fell down to the ground first, then he yep. stumbled into it, and then he just kind of fell over. Listen, he's like 86, so settle down. I mean, we can't make fun of him too bad. Uh, but then it was terrible, though. Steve Austin hit, kind of like slipped into the stunner and then just laughed hysterically because he was like, "That was a disaster. That sucked." But Vince McMahon is incredibly old, but also uh, okay. It's, it's alleged, alleged uh, suspicious body. Sure. Come on, yes. he is jacked. This yeah, guy's like still, eighty years old. Yeah, he's still jacked and. Uh, who did he? Didn't he? Uh, he didn't smack him, right? Didn't he swipe the papers out of Armin Katayan's uh, hands during an interview, like all yeah. raging? Natural yeah. rage, though. Sure, natural, natural rage. No, natural. no, no allegations no. here. No <laughs> allegations, man. You're, you're just a physical freak. <laughs> Vince is. I mean, first of all, he also wore the black tank top to just kind of replicate what McAfee wears, which is kind of a nice silly touch. Uh, yeah. Vince. Listen, he looks like the guy. Remember the guy that used to be on like the billboards for like whatever oh, yeah. vitamin. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's that's Vince now. Modern Marvel, man. <laughs> Just genetics. Number three. Winning time rolls on. Lakers. Oh, boy. Turn it off if you don't want spoilers. 79-80 season. Every episode is better than the one before. They've been great. Last episode was especially grumpy. Kareem, as uh, he works through you know his mental battles and magic trying to bring life back into his game. And then we also got to see... Paula Abdul. Oh, yeah. College freshman Paula Abdul at the time, who was in a ballet troupe. Sure. And Jerry Buss was not happy with the choreographer of the ballet troupe who was trying to create the Laker girls and sent Jeannie to go find her at a high school where she was choreographing some high school cheerleading routine. I don't know how accurate that is necessarily. Van Eyes High School. Sure. Uh... But kind of, you know, an interesting way to work. I mean, I think most people are familiar with the story of Paula Abdul starting out with, with the Laker girls and, you know, her role in that. So pretty interesting, you know, piece of pop culture intertwining with the development of the Showtime Lakers. Did you think it was a weird twist where Jerry Buss got, like, super ragey in a couple of moments? No, that's supposedly very, very accurate. Really? He just he would just fly off the handle over a freaking the way a bar was constructed? Yeah, the little, the little tiny details. Uh, of things would would set him off apparently. By the way, the most relatable moment to this show. Did anyone notice Chick Hearn? I'll say teaching. 
teaching the fist teaching up. Pat Riley about broadcasting. But sure. uh, Ari doesn't watch any of these shows, even though uh, you know we ask him to. But uh, there's a moment I think Ari would enjoy. Chick Hearn is like, look at my hand. When we're on the air, if my fist is bald, that means shut up right then. Just be quiet. <laughs> and I do have a habit, folks don't see it, but I do have a habit of putting up a stop sign at people. Yeah. When I'm either going to break and I want to get out, or I actually have a point to make That's, and I put it right, I put it right up in people's yeah. faces. I, def- so. I definitely had PTSD watching the show. Uh, I felt for Pat Riley. But then, the, but then the moment happened where, like, you know, Riley's he's getting it, and uh, and Chick Hearn has the the bald fist and then lets it go. You know what, brother? You're learning now. It's your chance to talk. Who? Fly away, baby bird. There, there are a lot of characters that come off horrifically in the show. Awful. And I comes off the worst. I mean, Chick Hearn is a terror. Just in a just a racist, sexist, like misogynist, uh anti anti gay, all of that. Jerry West is just a well he's better now, right? Like he's calmed down as kind of the general manager role a little bit. But as a coach he was just a nightmare of a person. I mean Pat Riley just lost his mind. I'll Everybody tell you, one of the guys who, who apparently, I don't know why they, they got a real kick out of the fact that Spencer Haywood apparently took an axe to his wiener <laughs> yeah. uh, to, to like circumcise it. And they're like, they're, they're, they're kind of like hinting at it and they're trying to show it. I'm like, all right, enough. There is, I will say, uh, we're getting too many shower shots and barrier yeah. ends. Like I'm getting euphoria flashback here. I'm shaking watching winning time. I'm yeah. like, all right, it's, I thought I got out of this. It's a lot. <laughs> it's definitely a lot. But the show is just so, it's so good. I, I, it's one of the shows, and I think we've talked about this with a couple other shows, but I get angry when it's over. And now I'm also like, I'm, I'm starting to freak out because at the end of every episode, I'm like, oh my God, there's only a couple left. This sucks. Why can't this go on forever? Number two. Bill Self, Kansas, win the national title last night. We know all the stuff that's been going on around Kansas the last couple of years. They got caught. Massive violations. Kansas basically told the NCAA to buzz off and sign self to a guaranteed contract. Now it all comes to fruition with a national title, his second national title. You know, I didn't get to ask you, is Bill Self a good coach? Is he an all-time coach? <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. I mean, did you watch You watch the last minute of the game? You don't think he had a very good could the, final minute of the game? I mean, could huh? they have mismanaged the final minute any worse than they did? How so? Explain. First of all, I mean, there was a couple of instances. First of all, the not screaming and yelling at your team to take advantage of the fact that you had a five-on-four. And it's not just that they had a five-on-four, because if you're an idiot, if you're the among the most simple-minded people that have ever walked the planet, you would say, they ended up scoring on that possession. Yeah. Way later... When they could have gone five on four and had a two for one when they were already leading. That's the ultimate advantage you could possibly play. An extra man and you're playing two for one before before it gets down to the 30 seconds and you blow it. What is he doing? Baycott fell to the floor, wrenched his knee. We think it was actually the floor, which we'll have to get to later on. But he is he's lying there. Then he stumbles down the floor. And it was almost like Candace turned around. And felt bad for him. They let him come back up. Like, yeah. just go. Go. Yeah. It's five on four. There's no mercy. Win a title. Let's they, go. They pulled it out, which absolutely you have to play for the two, two, two for one there. And they didn't. And they, like I said, they eventually scored. But they blew the chance to play for a two for one, which gave then North Carolina a chance to potentially tie it with a last shot. But don't worry about it. It's fine because North Carolina blew a couple of opportunities. You get the ball. That's good. 
And then you design a play where a guy runs along the sideline and steps out of bounds. What what were they doing? Why was why are you not better drilled? Why do you not have a better play? Why are you throwing the pass where they threw the pass? That made no sense. But that's okay, Steve. It doesn't matter. Because now North Carolina only has four seconds. So they're going to throw it in and you're going to foul them. Because you can't possibly let a team take a three-pointer that could tie the game. But they didn't foul. They let them get off a three. Now it missed. So again, if you're a moron... You would say, well, they missed. Who cares? Because you mismanaged and bungled the game. And I, I'm worse than him. What on earth was the broadcast team doing? Not once. They they ran through the scenario of who the best three-point shooters are, how they were going to try to get the inbounds play. Not one person on the broadcast mentioned, well, maybe they should foul here, which is the obvious decision of what to do. There's no question there's not a debate anymore. I mean, we talked last week when you weren't here. Todd Golden is way ahead of everyone else in th- saying you should foul when you're up two, which is 100% accurate and true. Uh, but we're not there yet with a lot of people. They can't figure that part out. They have trouble with math. Up three, there's not a debate. You foul in that situation. And they, again, not that they didn't do it. They didn't even talk about it. Nobody mentioned it. That's nuts. So through all the mismanagement and buggling, they win the title in the final minute, but settle down with the wonderful coaching job by Bill Self. Number one. Coming up, we get to the top story. Uh, Adam Hill has uh, his first of many mock drafts out and just completely absurd. I mean, come on. Darren Waller on the move. You're jumping back into the first round to take what? Who? It's the Big Five at Five, brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. If you've been injured, call Justin Watkins at Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 570-9000. We go! C'est parti pour Puff Johnson. C'est une balle d'égalisation pour North Carolina. C'est dans les mains de Caleb Love pour la prolongation! Kansas est champion! Now... Back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota studio. studio. Man, there's something about French. French called the national title last night. I know Adam took French in high school. So did I. Sure. I think I was maybe drawn to it because if you noticed, the beginning of that just sounds like someone's being chastised. Sure. You know, it just it sounds very luxury. Um, at some point, we will get into F1 a little more because F1 is coming. I started watching the F1 reality show. I don't know if you watched it. No. But I've only watched season one. Well, one of the cars uh, and engines involved is Renault, right? Or Renault, however you want to say it. And I sw- swear the French guys in the show, you're like, son of a... You know, it's, they're, they're, they're just not likable. Oh, Boris, but- Boris Dia was mostly likable. He, he came up the Spurs kind of chubby wingman. He did come off as a, a bit arrogant at times. I what- guess... I, I would say Tony Tony Parker's likable, but I don't know. I was going to go Tony Parker. By the way, I I do have – I actually have a friend who has an apartment overlooking what will be the F1 course. Oh, my God. He was telling me he's very excited for F1 because he's a big fan, but it will be his first race that he's seen. I said, how does that make any sense? How are you a fan? You've never (laughs) seen a race. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said, the reality show. Yep. Dude, the reality show is awesome. Because I watched, I think I watched like five or six episodes, and out of it, I was like, yeah, I don't think I'll ever go see a race. I mean, I'd love to be able to see the one here in Vegas, but I'm sure it's going to be super pricey. Maybe go as a media member. But uh, but the show puts it together so well that it's, because it's there's no lull. Everything's super, super fast. And uh, 
you know, a lot of action and, and no drop-offs. So your mock draft comes out the other day. Uh, you decide to uh, throw a wrench into the whole thing because, well, the Raiders don't have a first-round pick. Sure. So in your mock draft, you suggest that Darren Waller is going to be traded. The Raiders will get a first. They'll get it from the Titans. Then they'll take a linebacker. What was the rationale behind this? What were you trying to accomplish? Would you like to apologize? No, it's a uh, it's it's a it's a talking point, obviously, for some somebody to explore. Now, obviously, the rumors are out there. I mean, people have seen them, right? That the Raiders could trade Darren Waller. Um, there is a major problem with that part of the mock draft. First of all, I did say it would be crazy to do it. Um, the major problem with the mock draft of Darren Waller being traded, Steve, is that it would be very very hard for the Raiders to get a first round pick for Darren Waller. <laughs> I don't right. think they'd get a first rounder. Now, Which I'm I'm guessing most people who read it probably thought that's all they're getting is a first round pick. Yeah, the responses I got from most people were, "You're an idiot." They'd get at least three firsts in two seconds for Darren Waller. What on earth are people talking about? That's nuts. Now, yeah. here's the thing: as I said in the story, I wouldn't trade Darren Waller. I wasn't suggesting that they should trade Darren Waller. I think they should make him play under the contract that he has. Does Darren Waller want to? I wouldn't. If I was Darren Waller, I'd want a new contract. He's the 17th highest paid tight end in the league, and contracts are going nuts right now. The Raiders are in a great position. They have him under contract for two more years, but we know that players are taking more power now. He has a new agency, which, by the way, is Clutch Sports. He's with Rich Ball and LeBron. So if I'm him, I want a new contract, and if you don't give it to me, and the Raiders can't really afford it, if you don't give it to me, I'm out. Trade me. Get me out of here. And I, I also love people. You know, I got several emails, multiple emails from people that said, did you ever think of his feelings in this? Uh, yeah. And I said, his feelings? I wrote that he deserves more money. What do you mean his feelings? What are you talking about? That's insanity. Um, listen, I don't think it's going to happen. I wouldn't do it if I was the Raiders, just to be clear on this. It was obviously a talking point, and it was a, hey, look, if they could, if they could get a first-round pick and Darren Waller is not happy and he wants out – they should probably do it. But I, I just don't think you would get a first-round pick necessarily for him because it wouldn't be like the new team is getting him on this deal. Part of this, as we've seen with like the Devontae Adams trade, the Tyree Kill trade, if a team is going to trade for him, they would have already had to probably work out an extension. And he would want a whole lot more money, so you'd have to probably give up a lot less for him because you'd have to be giving him a bunch of money on the other end. So, um, yeah, that was obviously just, listen, I'm going to have another mock draft Sunday. It's not going to have the Raiders involved in it. It was just kind of a look at what they could potentially explore, what they could possibly do. Uh, and I don't know that they'd be able to get a first-round pick for Waller. I don't think they would. But if they could and he wants out, it would be something to explore. Check out all of Adam's stories, LVRJ.com, in the Vegas Nation section. More of Cofield and Company is on the way, live in the Finley Toyota Studios. You're listening to Cofield and Company. Man, it falls. They get it to Love. Shoots it. Short. That's it. Rock, drop, Jayhawk. Kansas has won their fourth national championship. Bill South, his second. The ball is Kansas wins the national title. Brian Custer, ESPN, on the call there. Adam Hill, Cofield. You know, Adam, when the Final Four was formed, we'll say a, a week ago, and the teams were in place, you know, Villanova, but especially Duke and Kansas and North Carolina, it took me back to the 91 
Final Four that UNLV was in with those teams minus Nova. And it got Ari and I thinking about, hey, you know, let's try to get a former Kansas player on who was in that Final Four because, you know, that, that game, the, the Kansas-North Carolina game is kind of lost um, in that Final Four. And eventually Duke beat Kansas. Kansas came up just short of that, you know, in that uh, in the national title game with the uh, UNLV big upset against Duke. Um, but those Kansas teams were pretty freaking awesome. And I'm sure Alonzo Jamison is completely fired up that his Jayhawks won last night. And he gives uh, Stephen Adam here in Vegas a couple of minutes. Alonzo, how you doing? I'm doing well. How about yourself? We're good. We're good. We were entertained by the tournament. Uh, really good game last night. What were your feelings about the game last night? Uh, the first half, not so not so much. But the second half, uh, yeah, it turned out the, the way it should have turned out. Let's put it that way. <laughs> What, what do you what do you think Kansas did? You know, uh, this whole tournament, coach has pretty much gotten on those guys at halftime, and he he, he didn't uh, step out of his uh, out of his realm. He did the same thing in that game, and uh, luckily, it turned out to to to, to be the best uh, outcome that it could possibly be. What do you think about the makeup of this team in terms of uh, some of the players that you watched and followed? I've been watching this team since obviously the in, in October, and it's come from the, the, it, it, it's night and day how they played in the, at the beginning of the year. You know, uh, with a bunch. If you look at look at the team on paper, you you're like, wow, this team should win a national championship with us, as as well as the individuals were. But uh, as uh, Texas and uh, us actually found out, you know, you gotta. They got to drive. They got to. They got to come together as a team, and uh, that's exactly what we did. We had guys that figured out their roles, and uh, I don't think Coach Self actually told them what their roles were. They figured it out on their own. And, yeah. Uh, they got to get to the highest echelon, obviously. And in Obaji and also McCormack, it's it's kind of a. It's kind of a throwback to past era where you have guys in the program for three and four years and they actually, you know, get old together. Maybe they don't play a whole bunch at the beginning of their career, but by the end of the career, you know, when they're 22, 23, they're damn good players. You know, that's exactly what's going on. The, the last four or five years, I shouldn't say four or five, maybe close to ten, we have these <laughs> one and done. And that kind of screws up your uh, your uh, your uh, camaraderie when it comes down to the, to, to the team atmosphere, when it comes from year to year. And if you get those teams, like the mid-majors, the, the perfect example, those guys do a great job of being together for three or four years. They know each other really well, and they actually do very well when it comes to the tournament because they know each other really well. Yeah. So uh, with the D1s and with the one and dones, I hate to say it, but it's, it's killing the sport. It was killing the sport before COVID. Now COVID's killing the sport, but... Uh, when you uh, when you're around somebody for three to four years, you get to know exactly how they play, and they get to know exactly how you play. So uh, with uh, with uh, Ochai and uh, McCormick knowing each other for three to four years, you, you knew exactly exactly what they were going to do when it comes to the national championship game, and those guys did exactly what they were supposed to do. I mean, there's also a physical element, too. You're talking about a guy in McCormick who's, you know, 6'10 and 250 pounds. And I'll give you the example on the other side. Like, Chet Holmgren, the kid who's probably going to be a top-five pick, but he's, you know, he's 7'1 and 195 pounds for Gonzaga. 
He's going to be a great player, but when you take potential one and dones who haven't grown into their bodies yet, and then all of a sudden they're going against guys who are twenty three who weigh two hundred and fifty pounds. I mean, there's just right, there's right. certain things physically you cannot overcome. You know, it's 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 funny you say that because it, these guys that are one and dones are not exactly going to give you. They're, they're going to give you sixty five to seventy five percent because they know that they're going to go somewhere in the next year. And you can't blame them for that, for that aspect. You brought them on. You hope that they're going to play 100%, but they don't do that. And just because they don't want to get hurt, you know, I mean, that's, that's human nature. You're looking at seven figures possibly in the next year, and uh, you don't want to get hurt. And, and that's fine. But um, it, these kids that are in three to four years, they, they, they act, like you said, they build their bodies up and, uh, not, not only their bodies, but their minds, and that's a big aspect of, of basketball. Men's basketball division one is is what you have up, up in between your ears. It's the voice of Alonzo Jamison, former Kansas player, was in the uh, '91 Final Four. We're going to get to that in a couple of minutes. Kansas wins a national title last night. Um, I want to talk about different elements of your story. First of all, how are you doing health wise? And I want you to tell the Vegas audience what you went through and now what you're efforting moving forward. No, I'm doing great. Uh, I just passed my uh, five-year anniversary of, uh, of receiving a kidney, um, and it, it, it's, it's been interesting because before I got my kidney, I didn't know anything about transplant, and uh, it took me a couple of months to actually get up to speed and, and, and be a advocate for what there's a lot of There's a lot of people that need it, and... Uh, we're just trying to get the word out there in the Midwest, not only in the Midwest, but throughout the country, and try to get some people uh, a quality of life that they haven't had in a while. I want to talk about the the 91 Final Four and your your recollection of it. First of all, and I, I, I could have looked this up, and I apologize for not doing it. Um, do, you, do you remember the order of the games? Did you, were you guys, did you guys play before uh, Duke and UNLV or after in the Final Four? Uh, we played before. Okay. Yeah. So, so you played. It, it was you played before. The same atmosphere. Of what what just happened in, uh, yep. in uh, uh, the last couple of days. So uh, everybody so, kind of overlooked us, and uh, yeah. you know we, we were afterthought. And everybody kept saying that the uh, the UNLV Duke game was the quote uh, national championship game. So right. uh, we took that to heart, but unfortunately we came a little bit short. And I'm glad the guys actually. Uh, didn't take that to heart yesterday and, and did what they had to do to get over the hump. So you play before, you advance to the title game, you beat North Carolina, and then you got this UNLV team that's heavily favored. I think they were like about a nine and a half, ten point favorite. A lot of people believe it was even bigger than that, but those are actually the odds. Did you guys stay around to watch the game? Like, where'd you watch the game and were you shocked when UNLV fell to Duke? No, we actually did our, 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 our post game tradition which is uh, eat together and then we went back to the uh, the hotel so we didn't watch any of the game but uh once we got back to the hotel I, obviously the tvs were switched on and <laughs> trying to figure out exactly who we were going to play and we were a little bit shocked and uh we had just beat unlv the year before when they were ranked number one i think it was and uh we were like we weren't ranked at the beginning of the year and we ended up beating them in, in uh in New York, as a matter of fact, um, so we, we knew we had their number. We we were really wanting to play them. Don't tell anybody that, but we were really <laughs> wanting to play them. But Duke Duke actually ended ended up winning, and unfortunately, we like I said, we came up a little bit short. 
That's funny. I think as a I'm a little younger than you. I think I think I was actually at that game. It was I was actually at the the Kansas UNLV game. It was on. Uh, no, I'm just looking it up now. November 22nd of 1989. You guys you guys actually did beat them, 91 yep. to 77. Yep. Um, you know the the other reason I wanted to talk to you is we, this the beginning of the week and even over the weekend we we were talking a lot about Coach K and you know and self and legacies and winning national championships and how many championships different guys have and. I think you can speak to the fact that you had loaded teams around you at Kansas and getting through the tournament and winning it is hard. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people don't know. I mean, you, you got 65 there are 60, 64 to 68 teams that are vying for that. And anybody can beat you on any given day. Uh, as you well know, with, um, uh, uh, the 16 being the number one seed a couple of years ago, anybody can, can get, can get God is like, they used, the kids used to say, <laughs> can get God on any different any given day. So you got, you actually have to be ready to play, and there's a lot of luck in that, too. And a lot of people don't know that. There's there's some luck in that. Uh, there's always going to be any national championship. You can actually see that in, uh, a team that lead, led up to that always going to have a scare, a one- or two-point scare during that, during that tournament. And... Uh, the ball bounces one way or the other. It, it could be, it could be completely different. Yeah, I think what the uh, the year after you got caught early by UTEP, and I think the year before, as UCLA was kind of putting their runs together, you lost a UCLA team that had you know Tracy Murray and Don McLean. I mean, it was like you're you're in a two seven game, and you, UCLA's looking right. across the way. Yep, yep, and. Uh, it, it, that was probably one of the best teams I've ever played on, and I, I didn't start. I came off the bench, and those those were the years that I really cherished because that actually uh, chiseled me into what I actually became a couple years later. And hopefully I did the same thing for the kids that came after me. And um, and that's what, what, what I like about KU is, is the tradition. There's a lot of people who... Uh, we don't know this, but you know we have this thing called FOE, family over everything, and that goes back to tradition from 1952. We still have people who who come back and from that team that uh, that comes back and, and talk to the kids uh, that played yesterday, and and they're probably going to be playing next week or next year, I should say. So uh, we got a lot of tradition, and 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 it, it makes it a lot easier. To actually not even come here, but to be a part of that that alumni group. That was uh, that era was also a time when Kansas recruited pretty heavily in California. How did they get on you? And were, were you actually considering the other, you know, Southern California schools strongly at the time? Like, how does a guy from Santa Ana land up, uh, end up, or land in Lawrence? It, it's funny you say that. Uh, I actually was. Uh, I went to junior college one year. And ended up being the uh, most valuable player of uh, junior college in uh, the junior college system in California. Uh, their junior college system is completely different from any other. It, it's pretty much uh, uh, by itself, so it, it's a standalone state, which means that all the junior colleges always play each other. So uh, I actually was recruited by a lot of the Pac-10, uh, Pac-12 time, uh, teams, Pac-10, I should say. And uh, was recruited by uh, Indiana uh, right before that. But I, you know, I the week after they they won it in '88, I actually came every and, and visited. 
and Danny Manning and uh, Milt Newton were my uh, were my uh, my host, and <laughs> I just good. knew this was just a place to be. I mean, it was just so comforting, and and a lot of people just just made me feel like this was the place to be. If this is a, this is a deep reference, and because I, I was looking stuff up, I didn't realize what a good football player you are. And we're talking to Alonzo Jameson. You know, when he played, he was six six, two hundred thirty five pounds. Um, you were a high level football player, but you actually you got hurt in your junior year, right? I, I think uh, you were playing modern day, and they they wound up breaking your leg. That kind of I think that ended your football. I wonder if you were healthy that year, would there have been a chance that you would have gone somewhere and been a two way athlete and tried to play both? I probably would not have tried to play both at the time. Uh, it was either one or the other, and and actually, my mom—I hate to say this, but I'm going to make you sound like I'm a wimp. But my mom actually yeah. made the choice for me. Right. My junior year, I broke my leg, and uh, I was uh, playing receiver at the time. And a lot of people, a lot of colleges, wanted me to play tight end, which was great. Me and me—that that would have been awesome. And yeah, but my mom, my my senior year, refused to sign the insurance paper. So that pretty much put Ooh. the, put the well, to Annette, so uh, she knew I had a better chance at probably becoming a, a better basketball player than I was a football player. And uh, you know, mom has that height, that that hindsight, and that 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 sixth sense. So you know, I'm glad I went with that, and glad she didn't sign that, or I would have been a, uh, a helmet head, as they call it. <laughs> yeah. Well, we appreciate you coming on and reminiscing a bit. Uh, one more time, remind her. Uh, about how they can get more information on transplants and just how important it's been to you. Yeah, you can actually go to uh, me.com to actually uh, uh, get uh, get registered to, to be a uh, uh, a, uh, a kidney uh, uh, not, uh, a, donor? A, a giver of a kidney yeah, a donor. Uh, Midwest Transplant Network is nwtransplant.com, and that's here in the, in the Midwest pretty much. But, you know, if you need somebody to give you some help, they will definitely give you some help. Well, we're glad you're doing well. Thank you so much for the time. I appreciate you guys. Thanks, of course. Man. Yeah, it's uh, mwtn.org, uh, Midwest Transplant Network, and, uh, you know, being a donor, potential donor is really important. So sign up. The easiest way to do it is uh, when you go and, Getting your driver's license renewed. It is. I don't like to do. Hey, back in my day, Adam. <laughs> but it is amazing when you look around college basketball. When not only was UNLV Tarch UNLV teams in eighty nine ninety and ninety ninety one awesome, but you look back and you're like, the teams that were facing were all old. And while you got my point on Holmgren, like I'm not against one and dones, but there is, you know, from a physicality standpoint, when you you start watching Holmgren play against guys who are 240 pounds, there's only so much he can do. There were teams back then, like this this Kansas team, and they made they made the final game. They had a tough time in the tournament just getting out of just getting the Sweet 16 because they'd run up against these teams that had you know four and five seniors and and teams that grew older together. Now here's the thing that's weird about college basketball: we're almost having a return to that. Now they don't grow old together, but you can have an old roster. Sure, if you if you bring in a bunch of guys that have a lot of experience and kind of you know play for it's it's quick results, but also experienced guys. It's a combination of guys that have seen a whole lot but uh, new together, and you can kind of patch that together. 
Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Fan base has been extraordinary. We're so excited for you. And here to present the trophy is the head of the basketball committee, Tom Burnett, to, to coach Seth and the Kansas City Jayhawks, the University of Kansas Jayhawks. Cofield and Company presents Grab Bag, only on ESPN Las Vegas. You just wonder if there's any savvy kids who are up on the podium there and they're looking at Mark Emmert like, how much money do you make off of us? Kansas City Jayhawks. Then he gives a University of Kansas like, okay, keep going, keep trying. Little shaken, little shaken. The uh, the prez, Mark Emmer. Would you have rather had him be more honest and to say we go to the Leavenworth J? Jay- I mean Kansas Jayhawks. <laughs> Maybe that was a confusion. He uh, he put Kansas City on him because they're a pro franchise. Sure. Okay, so I went down the rabbit hole during the break and I was looking up the 1989 beginning of the season where UNLV did lose to Kansas because we just talked to Alonzo Jamison and uh, yeah, Larry Johnson. Third game of his career had 17. People must have been freaking croaking. <laughs> UNLV was number one in the country. They got upset by an unranked Kansas team. Eventually, Kansas went on to be the number one or two team in the entire country. Finished as a two seed uh, going into the tournament. But on the croaking part, I wonder what it was like when UNLV fans reacted to losing, but not only losing, but allowing Kansas to shoot 60%. Meanwhile, the Rebels in an era where most teams didn't shoot 10 threes a game went six of 23. <laughs> I mean, which, it's, which, as we know, again, Tark was way ahead of his time. Sure. Yeah, shoot the three ball. Well, that's when guys didn't grow up shooting it, though, and they didn't really, didn't really have the same grasp of it, maybe. Uh, but I was mostly caught up on the fact that you made sure to point out that you were younger. Really? I was. You know what? I did the math, and I was not younger. I was. Uh, that's actually, what I said. I was like the exact same age, and I think I went. I must have gone as a college student or a high school senior. I was a college student by then. I was a college student. And I went to the game, so I don't know why. Was it in New York? It was at Madison Square Garden, yeah. Huh. And uh, I remember taking the train up, and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to get to see this guy, Larry Johnson. And I didn't know a whole lot about him on the East Coast. You know, Juco guy out of, what, Dallas. And I'm like, I can't wait to see him. And then you see this Kansas team that was unranked, but really good. So Kansas actually, the beginning of the season, Kansas actually played LSU, who was number two the game before, like five days before, and took them out. So Was that a Chris Jackson LSU team? You know, let me look. Let me go down the rabbit hole right now. I mean, you were such a young man at the time. I don't know how you would remember. Well, I'm so much younger than you, Alonzo. I mean, I I can't. (laughs) I don't know why. I just got. I got very confused. Uh, The LSU. The LSU team had uh, Chris Jackson, who, of course, uh, was Chris Jackson at the time. Um, That was also Shaq as a freshman. Okay. Who was the? By the way, who was the smaller of the two big men? Crazy. Because they had Stanley Roberts, who was seven foot and two hundred and eighty pounds. Vernell Singleton and Wayne Sims, and so wow, what a you and I both love basketball now. And yeah, that that uh, that was that was pretty cool. That was a pretty cool game to, to get a chance to go to. So no help for the Knights from Mark Country Flurry, by the way. Three goals in the first period. Good work. We are out of here. Great job booking the show by Ari. And as Alonzo Jameson said, make sure you sign up to be an organ donor. It's very. Very important.